just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, we're talking about eating disorders, death by food. You know, eating disorders are really complex. They're uh, uh, psychophysiologic, and they have a lot of challenges, and they really require more than simple determination and a strong will to overcome it. You know, one of every 50 children just in the United States will deal with them at some point in their lives. And while eating disorders are generally seen as a form of mental illness, um, there is a uh, institute of psychology of eating uh, where they see them as much more than that. They, They view eating disorders as opportunities to look deeper into our lives and the underlying issues that inevitably have nothing to do with food. And eating disorders are a doorway to our life, our culture, our family system, our world. And so while eating disorders afflict a lot of people in the world, they are not all caused by the same thing. So there's no common place in which all eating disorders are grown. Instead, the causes of eating disorders are various. And and uh, no one can really say exactly how they they you know, pop up. But the big ones, the big uh, reasoning of causes of eating disorders, the number one is stress, without a doubt. You know, it's easy to forget that we live in a world filled with chaos, especially these days, stress, war, violence, economic hardship, intense pressures from people, from our peers, our society, the media, politics. It's, It's just about everywhere we go. Um, you know, as people, we're not always taught how to communicate well and how to express our feelings, how to resolve inner, inner and outer conflicts. So a lot of us as children are, you know, smart enough to notice the pain and the intensity of the environment we live in. We're aware of that, but we do not have the tools to address it. So the disordered eating uh, grows out of those kind of conditions where our eating disorders are the body's way to cope with a world that's overwhelming us. There's other causes like family of origin. You know, behaviors that are exhibited by your parents can have a huge impact on whether or not you develop an eating disorder in itself. And so, you know, how your parents' attitude uh, is towards food, it it figures incredibly uh, to the development of their children's psyche. So when a parent has a really unhealthy relationship with food, they reflect the way of thinking to their child. For instance, a mother's unhealthy body image or obsession with uh, calorie counting is easily transferred to a teenage daughter. You know, there's a lot of studies uh, that have found that uh, somewhere around 40% of girls who are undertaking a diet were doing so because their mothers told them to. And if a parent tells their child to diet or lose weight, they are planting seeds of negative body image. And so when a mother or a father treats a child in such a way as to make them feel inferior, there's a significantly greater chance that the child will develop an eating disorder. And, and adding to that, eating disorders can often be a coping mechanism that, that uh, people, while they're younger, 
develop as a way to to address difficulties at home or challenges in their relationships with their parents, with other people. And it's a way that young people can unconsciously use to react to their parents or their siblings or their friends or the people at school or bullying or whatever. So, you know, it's huge to take on that understanding because some people will take on uh, gaining weight to form a sense of not being attractive because they have uh, issues of having to deal with sexuality or people wanting to be sexual with them. And so they use food and children will do that if they are molested. They will use food as a way to deflect or make themselves unattractive so they won't become a victim. Um there's also usually a history of abuse between one and two thirds of girls, and and by the way, women, uh, men also get this, and boys get this stuff too. But but a lot of it is about most of the statistics around girls. So about one to two thirds of girls and women who seek treatment uh, for eating disorders have been victims of sexual or physical abuse in their lives, and those traumatic events affect that that their the way they think, their self esteem. And this devastation can really make itself into the form of bulimia, uh, anorexia nervosa, or other food-related disorders, which in a minute I'm going to break those out. But when someone is abused at an early age, they may use eating as a way to take control over their body and feel the need to punish themselves and their bodies because lingering guilt or shame. And sometimes uh, this punishment can appear in the form of nutritional deprivation or overeating can stem from a need to feel emotionally void by the abuse or the violence. So, you know, there's other causes. Your culture. We can constantly hit over our heads by the media of, of physical perfection and we see, uh, you know, not very uh, completely dressed men or women who are, you know, in peak physical condition and, uh and we're often told that this is how you should look. And seeing such unattainable perfection nearly everywhere we look has a profound effect on our self-esteem. Our goals become unrealistic and unhealthy. You know, television, movies, magazines also tell us what we must do, whatever is in our power to recreate ourselves in that falsified image that they personify. So we're led to believe that if we're 10 pounds above our goal weight, it's because we lack conviction, uh, we lack the ability of discipline or self-discipline to, to diet or exercise. And this is a really messed up focus on unattainable beauty, self-control as being the major contributing factor of an eating disorder in both men or women. So, you know, the basic, the task is to remove the viral beliefs that mess up our minds around perfection and its attainment when it comes to food and weight. And so most people really understand this concept, but they truly cannot feel and experience the powerful way that our minds are programmed to lead us down a road of self-attack around our body image. And boy, I'll tell you, as you get older, it's a bigger challenge. You know, most of us are taught that our symptoms uh, diseases, our emotional challenges, our unwanted habits, our problems. In fact, they are the enemy that must be defeated because they're so bad. But there is a difference and, and more generous and holistic view of physical and emotional challenges, also of diseases. You know, on a deeper level, the wisdom of the body and the wisdom of the 
places around us in our environment is another language. And our challenges around food and health are here to ask us to grow spiritually and to transform. It's something that we have to constantly hold in balance as we get older and as we move through life. We, we have to eat to live. And that means, do we live to eat or do we eat to live? And that is the important understanding of what our relationship is with food. Eating disorders basically affect about 20 million women and about 10 million women just in the United States and, and are mainly caused by underlying triggers associated with, once again, trauma, mental illness, low self-esteem. And so people with certain personality traits, such as perfectionism, the need to control and the impulsivity are usually predisposed to eating disorders. However, these per certain personality traits, along with the many others, have been shown to help people recover from things like anorexia nervosa or bulimia, which we're going to go into here in a second. But studies have shown that there are traits specific to certain eating disorders that can be bolstered and strengthened to overcome them very specifically. You know, anorexia nervosa is a mess. It's, it's basically characterized by the intense fear of gaining weight and having a distorted body image. There's this inability to maintain a minimally normal weight and extreme dietary habits prevent weight gain. And so people with anorexia nervosa usually have high levels of harm avoidance, a personality trait that is characterized by worry, pessimistic thinking, doubt, shyness, and a lot of research has discovered that harm avoidance does persist after recovery, yet individuals are still able to recover despite the traits continued. And so the key to adopting uh, a practice of positive self-affirmations, learning uh, which coping skills can help you deal, worry, pessimistic feelings in a healthy manner. So people of um, self-directedness during a, 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 an eating disorder like anorexia, recovery can allow the person to become uh, examining their own problems and become in, insightful into their own lives and their own choices. And so they can become more self-directed, they can uh, decrease their impulsivity, and they can become much more aware of what they're doing because a lot of what they're doing becomes muscle memory, which means it's automatic thought. There's this thing called bulimia nervosa, and it's, it's also characterized by consuming a large amount of food within a short period of time. So you binge, eat, and then the, by uh, self-induced ways, you rid your body of the food and the calories that were consumed during the binge the, by purging. And so purging is often seen uh, both in bulimia and binge eating, uh, the, the, the purging type. Uh, and some uh, uh, anorexia include in self-induced uh, self vomiting or laxative abuse or diuretic abuse or excessive exercise. But unlike anorexia, individuals with bulimia nervosa are often of normal weight or are overweight. And this is the key to have high level of novelty seeking a personality trait that's characterized by impulsive decision making. They have a short temper. Their extravagant approach to rewards uh, is very important for them. It's a way of self-soothing, and it brings them the feelings of reward that aren't harmful or extreme, or they don't feel are extreme, due to the eating disorder. 
you know, uh, so, the, you know, to, the goal is to find healthy alternatives that can replace the dopamine rush from binging and purging. And then there's this binging eating disorder. And now this is a little different because it's characterized by eating an excessive amount of food within a two hour time frame. And it's associated with an extreme lack of self-control and a lot of shame during the episode. And it's possible for an individual diagnosed with binge eating disorder to consume as much as 3,400 calories in little more than an hour, as much as 20,000 calories in eight hours. So unlike bulimia and anorexia, there's no compensatory purging such as self-induced vomiting. Uh, There is sometimes laxative abuse or excessive exercise, but not that often with these folks. Um, you know, their intuitive eating and positive coping are two important skills that can really help this person overcome. But man, oh man, oh man, they can really develop a lot of weight gain in a very short time. And, and basically, some of the therapies that help them is journaling or art therapy or, or running or engaging in a type of self-care to break them away from that. You know, these eating disorders are relatively common occurrences And the problem is many of them happen in wealthy, industrialized countries, affecting about 2% of women and approximately 0.8% of men. And they're characterized by persistent disturbance of eating patterns that leads to poor physical and, and, and psychological health. And so the major eating disorders, once again, anorexia, nervosa, bulimia, nervosa, binge eating disorder. But then there's this thing called avoidant restrictive food intake. Then there's pika, and then there's rumination. You know, eating is an activity that we have to do to survive, and the body has many mechanisms that regulate appetite and eating. Eating patterns are usually influenced by a whole lot of factors, uh, biological, cultural, as we talked about before, environment. So disordered eating patterns can be caused by feelings of distress or concern about our body shape, our weight, and they harm normal body composition and function. And a person with an eating disorder may have started out just eating smaller or larger amounts of food than usual, but at some point, the urge to eat uh, less or more can spiral out of control into really messed up patterns. So given the complexity of eating disorders, you know, there's a lot of research in, in an effort to try to understand them because, quite frankly, this, these, these disorders can kill you. If you get your body malnourished, there is going to be big problems. If you're going to eat 20,000 calories in eight hours, you're stressing your heart out. You're putting a lot of stuff into your bloodstream that probably shouldn't be there. And so there's a lot of problems here with people that die or their medical issues are exacerbated like diabetes Uh, by their eating and people you know we really need to keep a balance we really need to tune in to when our stomach is full rather than and that means you have to eat slower to try to understand what your stomach is doing at the time because many times we eat more than our stomach can hold and then our stomach stretches out and then we have to eat more and then it stretches more. So the key is to not stretch your stomach out, to shrink your stomach into something that's healthy. You know, um, this thing called avoided restrictive uh, food taking order is, is basically the avoidance or restriction of food. 
And so it is a true diagnosis, and many of this comes from early childhood, and, and then it moves on into adulthood. But they, these people have a lack of interest of eating food. They avoid food based on past negative experiences, and they have sensory characteristics like smell or taste or texture or presentation. So they become very, very, very picky eaters, and by doing that, they can become malnutritioned. And so significant weight loss, failure to achieve weight gain, you know, specific deficiencies begin to show up. Now we have this other one. That's called the rumination disorder. And that's an eating disorder that's marked by repeated regurgitation of food after eating. Yes, individuals with rumination disorder bring up previously swallowed food in the mouth without displaying any signs of nausea, involuntary retching, or disgust. So the food is typically rechewed, kind of like a bird, and spit out or swallowed again. And that regurgitation is sometimes described as habitual or it's outside of the control of the person. So this regurgitation of food takes place over a period of at least one month to get this diagnosis. And it's not a result of associated you know, uh, 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 stomach issues or a medical condition. But it, but it also is known to really develop in infancy, in childhood, in adolescence, or even in adulthood. But infants with the disorder tend to strain and arch their back with their head held back, making a sucking movement with their tongue. So malnutrition may occur despite indigestion of large amounts of food, particularly when regurgitating food is spit out. So in infants as well as older people with uh, intellectual disabilities, the regurgitation and rumination behavior, uh, it it has this self-soothing, self-stimulating type of repetitive motor movement. Very strange. But the last weird one is pica. And it's characterized by eating uh, non-nutritive food, non-food substances on a persistent basis. Uh, commonly eaten by, by people with pica is, uh, pica is paper, soap, hair, gum, ice, paint, pebbles, soil, chalk. People with pica do not typically have any aversion to food in general. In order to be diagnosed, however, uh, of, of pica, it has to happen for more than a month. Children below age of two are typically not diagnosed with PICA because they're under two years old. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to co- uh, we're going to talk about the common issues, and then we're going to go into how to heal these things. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. You know... Eating disorders is what we're talking about, and death by food is what I titled the show. But, you know, eating disorders affect people across the whole weight spectrum. Just because someone is is at a higher weight doesn't mean that they aren't struggling. But, um, you know, some people uh, are okay at a higher weight. Some people can be healthy at a higher weight. It all depends. uh, A lot of it depends on your biology, and it also depends on how well you're uh, maintaining your health. You know, it's important to uh, show that people who are at higher weights tend to be an increased res- uh, risk of eating disorders, but are less likely to be diagnosed and receive treatment. You know, and, and, and boys and men, they get eating disorders too. Um, there's about 31% of adolescent boys and young men that report eating disorder symptoms and about 18% report extreme concern with weight and physique and and you know you have to remember that eating disorders may look different in boys and men their focus tends to be more on improving their appearance uh, muscular uh, 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 gaining strength rather than losing weight and uh, sometimes you know uh, thinness also the transgender community is at a higher risk for eating disorders and I'm talking big time you know Transgender students are nearly five times more likely to struggle with an eating disorder compared to uh, uh, heterosexual women. You know, uh, transgender students who are also unsure about their sexuality are at at even a higher risk. You know, and and, uh, low-income African-American and Hispanic adolescents and adults have a huge risk of eating disorders. Uh, There's about... 15% of low income, uh, average family of, of 17,000, 
uh, Hispanic, African-American adolescents report uh, eating disorder compared with 3% on the national average. And there's another study found that 17% of severely uh, food insecure Hispanic individuals like families in which there was not always enough food or even uh, ability to feed the children reported clinically significant eating disorder symptoms. You know, all people deserve treatment. And many people who don't look like they have an eating disorder based on their weight, on their gender, on their skin color, are not identified as having an eating disorder by medical professionals. But delayed or missed diagnosis means missed opportunities for treatment and poorer outcomes. So we need to find ways to make treatment accessible for all people that struggle with eating disorders. It's just that darn coping skill that people just have to turn to it to comfort themselves, sadly. And it's an unconscious thing for many of them. And what's important is to bring it to the conscious. You know, I've, I've often said that when you travel the world and you see Americans in other countries, we are usually very easily identified because we're the heftier people. We are the ones that are fatter than everybody else. And so, you know, it's amazing that when we can live in gluttony by being in a, you know, a modern society, an industrial society, oftentimes we're struggling with the eating disorders because food is just at our fingertips. And so it's kind of sad. And a lot of people, they get that comfort out of their foods and there's even things called comfort foods and if you've ever lived in the south boy there's some comfort foods that I've made uh, because my grandmother came from the south and she taught me how to cook and oh boy uh, each of those meals is like a heart attack <laughs> you know but the core symptoms of eating disorders are those that are a part of um, the diagnosis um, so it's binge eating purging weight loss However, there's a lot of subtle patterns that we don't understand that are common in people with eating disorders. And, and we're going to list some of these. And not one will display all of these, but any one person may display uh, quite a few of these patterns. And at the end of the list, I'll explain why, why it's useful to be aware of these, whether you have an eating disorder yourself or you have a loved one who does. And, and sometimes you're not, but you're on the border of having the eating disorder problem. So here's some subtle signs. Uh, the biggest one is using only particular utensils or plates to eat. Or, or using uh, eating paraphernalia included for children like plates or trays, have portion dividers, or eating while wearing a, a, a bib. You know, excessive interest and what other people are eating, like asking other people to describe the taste of their meal in detail, asking people about what they ate, like inquiring about what, what a spouse ate when on a business trip. Also, uh, that these kind of things show that a person has an unhealthy relationship with food. Also, eating unusual combinations of food, like mixing sweet and savory in unusual combinations is a sign. Also, very specific counting and measuring, such as always uh, adding uh, a certain amount of raisins or, or, or berries to your oatmeal. You know, uh, uh, carefully inspecting food when you go to the store, to, like you're picking up a whole bunch of packages and food to see what looks the most appealing. That's another sign. You know, becoming upset. If, if if something is wrong 
is, is and is purchased and it's accidentally purchased like a uh, low salt or a regular version of an item um, you know so people get upset about buying the wrong brand when the item is close to identical and so a lot of people tend to flow towards an eating disorder that's another sign you know uh, food rules in these people's lives not only eating food that has over a week left till the expiration date has expired. Some people hoard food until the expiration date or even after. You know, that's another sign. Also, if they have inflexible routines around eating, like the person can only eat if wearing a particular shoes or, or a particular clothes, um, you know, that's another correlation. And during a lot of research on food ingredients, that's what another person might do. And perhaps ordering lots of specialty products like teas and powders that are purported to have healthy benefits. And so they may have their their cabinet stocked full of things that they never really open because basically they have a strange relationship with food. And so, you know, uh, other signs is they, they're agitated if they can't do their typical exercise or it gets interrupted. Also, they overcompensate if exercise is missed or interrupted. For example, you miss 30 seconds of a workout because of an interruption, but you do an extra five minutes to make it up. That's another sign. You know, eating fast, that's the big one. Or eating slow can be a big one. But eating fast is the big is one of the biggest things, that they just gulp it down really fast, and their body has no chance to register what they're eating or how much they're eating. Also, if you use a lot of seasoning on food that other people might find not, not so good, for instance, using a very large quantity of pepper or low-calorie sweeteners, that can be a big deal or even too much salt. You know, we all crave salt. You know, if, if a person is always reading recipe books or watching a lot of food-related YouTube or video content, that's another sign. Also, Saving or hoarding food-related items like saving plastic utensils or seasoning packets from takeout, big deal. There's another sign. If they eat regular food using mini spoons like, you know, like for gelatino or frozen yogurt, that could be a sign that they have a poor relationship with food or a strange relationship with food. You know, uh, some people like their food undercooked or overcooked. That's another one. And also... Some people like to amend their recipes uh, by making smaller cookies or making larger cookies. Some people uh, eat higher calorie foods, you know, and, and uh, uh, so they may eat at a restaurant healthy foods and then they come home and they purge or not purge, but they eat. They binge and they binge and they binge. You know, having an eating disorder sometimes leaves a person feeling ashamed or like they're going crazy, or like their life is out of control. The biggest deal is to be mindful. You know, it, it's huge. Understanding the types of symptoms, you know, actually logging what you're eating may be a good way to begin to understand what your intake really is. You know, uh, understanding that types of symptoms are, are a common way to help you feel less ashamed and less confused by what you're experiencing. There's another thing that's a huge issue and it correlates to an eating disorder and that is marijuana. 
uh, marijuana has a huge and, and alcohol, they have a enormous factor on how a person eats. And oftentimes a person doesn't remember what they eat. But the deal is marijuana really does induce uh, uh, the stomach to to calm down, but it also wants to eat. It just you get the, the cravings to eat. And a lot of times people that smoke marijuana have a very unhealthy relationship with food and their intake is not good for them because they're not really registering what they're eating in a good way. You know, if you've recovered or if you've even partially uh, recovered, you should be so proud of yourself. You know, be mindful if any of these patterns are increasing or if they're, they're, they're probably want to try to curb them if you can. But it's, you know, if you're uh, having to struggle with food, encourage other people to eat, you know, to, to eat healthy. If you've learned how to eat healthy, don't just keep it to yourself. Try to help other people get strength and get self-confidence to overcome the impulse to overeat or undereat. You know, it's really hard to recover. So if you're still displaying some of the patterns that, that I've, I've just listed, you know, don't minimize the hard work you've done in addressing the core symptoms and don't feel excessively judged. Be mindful of the patterns, especially in terms of change or increase. And the deal with changes, especially with any kind of addiction, is to make peace with where you're at. Make peace with where you're at. Make peace with your body. And understand this is where I'm beginning. It's not where I'm ending. And don't don't contaminate your thoughts into disrespecting yourself. You know, it, it's it's important for you to step back and go, when I'm ready to take this food challenge on, I'm going to take it on and I'm going to t make it serious. Because unfortunately, until a person has enormous health problems due to their food intake, they don't realize what they have done to themselves. And it's almost too late when you've got diabetes, when you've got all kinds of heart disease, uh, when you've got all kinds of things that start to pop up, cancer, all kinds of stuff that'll pop up and it's exacerbated by your food intake. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize it until it's too late and often die. And so if you can get ahead of it and get in front of it and not make your life about eating, but make your life about living, you're gonna have a lot better chance to want to live than you are to want to eat. You know, to strive to be thin, fit or pretty, forever young is not only portrayed in our personal lives through uh, strict no-carb diets, but excessive workouts or, or, or cosmetic products or surgeries. You know, it's striving for perfection. You know, in this society, these things, the fashion world, the television, the modeling agencies, we often think we lose these you know, 20 pounds, 10 pounds, and, and, and try to make our skin healthy to feel better about ourselves. But we soon realize that our deeply rooted self-esteem issues are still present and we feel we're not good enough or don't look in a certain way and therefore we continue to lose more weight or gain more muscle to look better. So then what? You know, oftentimes we'll, we'll adopt even stricter diets uh, weighing every ounce of food we consume, exercising even more excessively, or seeking cosmetic procedures until we are knee-deep in, in a cycle of chasing our self-esteem and reaching out for the impossible. You know, And the funny thing about it is when you do therapy, 
uh, when you're treating a eating disorder, it's very important for you to have an open relationship that the client signs off on with the medical doctor that's monitoring the eating disorder. Because if when you have that, if you're treating somebody with an eating disorder and you're treating their thought process around it, um, oftentimes you're missing a lot of the problem. Uh, and so, you know, they work together. And so it's important. And it's also silly or even oftentimes uh, it can be a, uh, a, uh, a ethical uh, problem having a therapist just only a therapist treat a, a, a eating disorder. You know, the, we have this fascination with our body image. You know, friends tell us about our behaviors are unhealthy. Our parents may try to sit us down, have an intervention. But let's be honest. We have to realize and take accountability for ourselves. And you're not going to change until you want to change. Approximately 20 million women, 10 million men, once again, in the United States, suffer from an eating disorder. And, and so, the, and by the way, the one, the number one killer is anorexia nervosa of all mental disorders. That is the big one. So food doesn't necessarily cause our eating disorder, then what does? You know, it's just amazing that if you look at the American Psychological Association, they've shown that past abuse, once again, trauma, low self-esteem, bullying, poor parental relationships, borderline personalities, substance abuse, uh, self-injury, non-suicidal, and also a perfectionistic personality. But by the way, an eating disorder is a um, is a, a form of suicide. It is a suicidal lifestyle. And, and a lot of people have that. They have a suicidal lifestyle, and that may have to do with their relationship with food. And, and, and in fact, approximately 30% of people who engage in self-harm behaviors, such as cutting, will engage in binging and purging behaviors. And also... Uh, maternal uh, psycho, uh, psychopathology, such as uh, negative expression of emotion, the thrive of perfectionism, or maternal encouragement of weight loss, leads to the development of eating disorders in children and teenagers. So, the relationship between trauma and the development of eating disorders is huge, and it's a deep trauma is deeply distressing, and it's a deeply disturbing experience. And people that have that have triggers and people that have triggers have coping skills and oftentimes the coping skills is something they can control which will control their life and that is what they eat come back we're going to talk about how to resolve an eating disorder so come back change your world change your life VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? 
you're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, Please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about eating disorders, which is basically death by food. You know, the inner voices of uh, eating disorders whisper that you'll never be happy until you lose weight or that your worth is measured by how you look. But the truth is that happiness and self-esteem come from loving yourself for who you are. And that's the only possible way to recovery. It's a huge thing. And what is self-love? Well, it's simple. Self-love is learning to say no to things that hurt you. And so the road to recovery from an eating disorder starts with admitting that you have the problem. And the admission can be tough, especially if you're still clinging to the belief. Even if the in the back of your mind, that weight loss is the key to your happiness, your confidence, your success. Even when you finally understand that that's not true, that old habits are still hard to break. So the good news is that the behaviors you've learned can also be unlearned. Just as anyone can develop an eating disorder, uh, you know, anyone can get better. However, overcoming an eating disorder is about more than giving up unhealthy eating behaviors. It's also about learning new ways to cope with emotional pain, rediscovering who you are, and beyond your eating habits, your weight, and your body image. And so it's very difficult. If you're going to look at yourself from the outside in, you're going to make a very bad judgment of yourself. It's more important to look at yourself from the inside out because now you want to preserve that inside because your body is what's carrying your soul. It's carrying your spirit. It's carrying your intellect. It's carrying your ability to serve, your ability to help others. You know, true recovery from an eating disorder involves learning to listen to your feelings, listen to your body. And by the way, feelings are not a call to action. You know, and, and listen to your body, accept yourself, and love yourself. And, and that may seem like a lot, but, but remember, you're not alone. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with food. They just, you know, helps out there. Recovery is within your reach. You know, with the right support, with the right guidance, you can break free from your eating disorder. You can break free from your 
your childhood and what you grew up with and what you learned to eat. You can regain your health. You can find joy in life again. And sometimes it's simple things that can change. You know, once you've decided to make a change, open up about the problem, it's important to step on a road to recovery. You know, you can feel scary and you can feel embarrassed to seek help for eating disorders. So it's important to choose someone who will be supportive and truly listen without judging you or rejecting you. You know, that could be a friend, could be a family member, could be a youth leader, a pastor, a teacher, a school counselor. You know, you, you may be more a therapist, you know, or a doctor, but choose the right time and place. You know, there's no hard and fast rules for telling someone about your eating disorder, but you have to be mindful about choosing the right time and place, ideally somewhere private where you won't be rushed or interrupted. And number two is starting the conversation. And this can be the hardest part. You know, one way to start is by simply saying, I've got something important to tell you. It's difficult for me to talk about it. So it would mean a lot if you'd be patient and hear me out. And from there, you may want to talk about when your eating disorder started, the feelings, the thoughts, the behaviors involved, and how the disorder has impacted you. But the biggest deal is you got to be patient. You know, your, your friends, your family members will have their own emotional reaction to learning about your problem. And they may feel shocked or they may feel helpless, confused, sad, even angry, betrayed. They may not know how to respond to help you, but give them time to digest what you're telling them. And it's also important to educate them about your specific eating disorder, you know, and you need to be specific about they can, how they can support you. You know, you may want them to help you find treatment, accompanying you to see a doctor, check in with you on a regular basis, you know, find some other way of supporting your recovery without turning into the food police. And that's a big deal. You know, my family and friends can be a huge help to provide support. You may also want to join an eating disorder group, a support group. Yeah, you know, they provide a really good environment where you can talk freely about your eating disorder. They can give advice based on what they've done and where they're at in their recovery. And that support from people who know what they're going through and what you're going through. And so there's a lot of types of eating uh, support groups. Some are led by professional therapists, while others are moderated by volunteers or people who have recovered. You know, you can find uh, online uh, uh, eating disorder groups, chat rooms, and forums. They they can be really helpful if you're not ready to seek face-to-face help or don't have a support group in your area. And by the way, here in the COVID uh, lifestyle that we're all having, it's most mostly uh, via the computer. You know, if you need help, go to a therapist or a doctor, call the hospital, call a university, call local eating disorder centers and clinics, you know, or even school counseling centers. You know, it's just important to reach out, you know, and assemble a treatment team of people who can help you emotionally, physically, and, and with your heating, eating habits and your medical issues. You know, and it should address more than just your symptoms and more than just your destructive eating. It should also address the root causes of the problem, the emotional triggers. This is the big one. The emotional triggers that lead to disordered eating and and your difficulty with your coping skills of stress and anxiety and fear and sadness and uncomfortable emotions that affiliate with food. You know, uh, you know, find 
a, a specialist in your area, like a doctor that is is a specialist in eating disorders. Also, check with local hospitals and medical centers. You know, it's it's important. Also, address your health problems. Eating disorders can be deadly, not just if you're drastically underweight or overweight. You know, your health may lead may be in danger even if you only occasionally fast or binge or purge. So it's important to get a full medical evaluation. You know, if the evaluation reveals health problems, they should take priority. Nothing is more important than your well-being. But oftentimes, if if you're overweight, losing weight will help your medical condition. And it's also important to make a long-term treatment plan. That's a process. So you can't be impatient. You have to go, okay, this is a process. It takes time. I have to vest in the process and stay in the process. You know, once your health problems are under control, you and your team of people can work on a long-term recovery plan. And, and that may include uh, individual or group therapy. And therapy can help you explore the issues underlying your disorder. They can also improve your coping skills and even replace your coping skills. And then you learn healthy ways of responding to stress and emotional pain. So different therapists have different methods. So it's important to discuss with them your goals and their history of of working with a particular disorder. Family therapy, that's a big one. You know, it can help you and your family members explore how the eating disorder is affecting your relationships and how various family dynamics may be contributing to the problem and impeding recovery. And so you work to improve communication, respect, and support for each other. The other thing is uh, nutritional counseling. And this is a big deal. You know, the goal of a nutritionist or a dietitian is to help you incorporate healthy eating behaviors into your everyday life. And a nutritionist uh, can't change your habits. But over a period of time, you can learn to develop a healthier relationship with food. Big deal is medical Uh, monitoring, often treatment will include regular medical monitoring, especially if you're underweight or way overweight. That's a big deal. But then also, you may end up, in some cases, you may need more support than can be provided on an outpatient basis. There's residential treatment programs, and they're around-the-clock care, and and, uh, they have monitoring to get you back on track, and the goal is to get you stable enough to continue treatment at home. You know, you got to learn self-help strategies. And, and if you're going to seek professional help, it's important. Don't underestimate your role in the recovery. You're the one that's got to recover. If it doesn't come from you, if it's not motivated by you, you likely will not do it. If it's motivated by someone else, it's more than likely you're going to slip back. And so learn healthier ways to cope with emotional pain. You know, um, you know, many people think these disorders, these eating disorders are about food. But after all, your rules and fears about dieting and weight have taken over your life. But food itself isn't the problem. It's disordered eating is a coping mechanism for stress and other unpleasant feelings. And so you may refuse food to feel in control or you may binge for comfort or you may purge to punish yourself You know, but whatever the need of your eating disorder fulfills in your life, you can learn healthier ways to cope with negative emotions and deal with your challenges. 
you know, the first step is, is figuring out what's really going on inside. If you're upset about something, if you're depressed, if you're stressed out, if you're lonely, you know, you may be all of them. You know, there's an intense feeling that you're trying to avoid. You know, are you eating to calm down and comfort or relieve boredom? You know, once you identify the emotion you're experiencing, you can choose positive alternatives to starving and stuffing yourself. And so, you know, you may replace the behavior by calling a friend or listen to music, play with a pet, you know, read a good book, take a walk, do exercise, journal, you know, go to, well, it's hard to go to movies, you know, but get out into nature or play a favorite game, do something helpful for someone else, you know, that's big because our purpose in life is to help others and we have to have areas and this, by the way, you're losing weight or gaining weight or becoming healthy from a spiritual perspective or, or even a, a Christian perspective may be your testimony to helping others. And that can be a very, very powerful motivation to want to change your relationship with food. Don't pretend you don't feel anything when you do. You know, some people let people shame or humiliate you for having uh, or expressing your feelings, avoiding feelings because they make you uncomfortable. If you worry about your feelings making you fall apart, so you focus on food when you're not experiencing a painful emotion. And, and, and so that there is a balance that all of us have to deal with when it comes to food. You know, let go of your rigid eating rules. You know, strict rules about eating, uh, is, it's important to replace them with what is healthy and flexibility and, and diet. You know, the more you restrict food, the more likely it is that you want to become preoccupied or even obsessed with the diet itself. And so people that, that get into diets oftentimes strengthen their relationship with food and oftentimes they find themselves uh, uh, basically uh, becoming hungry or maybe not fueling their body properly. And your body knows when the tank's low and so it's going to instinctually tell you, eat. You know, and also it's it's really good idea, though, to stick to a regular eating schedule. You know, you may be used to skipping meals or fasting for long stretches, but when you starve yourself, food becomes all you think about. So you need to avoid the preoccupation. Oftentimes, it's just eating a few little small things throughout the day to get you by to fill your stomach, not gorging yourself and then waiting until a, a different time to go ahead and eat it again. And some people think they have to eat three meals a day. Well, quite frankly, you might want to eat five meals a day, but make them very small so that your stomach doesn't overfill. But it's important to take care of your emotional health too. So you make a list of your qualities that are good. You, you need to stop body checking. You need to avoid fat chalk. And you need to challenge your negative self-talk. And dress for yourself, not others. Don't compare yourself to other people. And also, you need to stay active. And that's a big deal, you know. But to avoid relapse, you need to identify those triggers and you need to replace your coping skill for those triggers. All right, that's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You know, you can do that on our webpage, voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember... On the first day of your diet, remove all of the bad food from your house. Make sure to relish how good it tasted. You know, remember what, what a disappointment when you show up to a Pilates class thinking it was a restaurant called 
pie lattes. <laughs> also remember, ask yourself why you're eating your favorite food. What is more important, food or love? Lastly, most people have trouble sleeping when they know good food is going cold in the refrigerator. That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.